book of Luke, chapter 24. That's predominantly what I will be preaching out of today, uh, bringing to a conclusion our series, Jesus' Journey to the Cross. And today, we're going to go through the story of the two men on their way to Emmaus in their encounter with Jesus. Please join me in a brief word of prayer before we proceed. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've already done in our hearts. Thank you for ministering to us. Thanking Thank you for the reason that we have to celebrate this day, Father God. Thank you for that empty tomb. Thank you that, je- that death could not keep Christ in its grasp, but that he rose again and death can't touch him anymore. And he has been given a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Lord, we just ask you to speak to us, Lord, and we humbly receive your word with hearts to be doers of your word, that we might bear fruit unto you that bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're starting at the uh, 13th, 13th verse. We will go all the way through the 35th verse. We'll work our way through that uh, today. But I guarantee you it won't take more than an hour and a half of your time. <laughs> Some people are like laughing. Some people are saying amen. Some people are like, is he serious? (laughs) I'm just messing with you. Starting at the 13th verse, it says that that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, all these things, Jesus being betrayed, being deserted by his disciples, being, uh, being uh, betrayed by uh, Judas to the chief priests and the Pharisees who then took him to Pilate. And he's been railroaded. They used the legal system to murder him. Crucified him on the cross and he died. But even before then, they levied false accusations against him. They covered his head, beat on him, and said, prophesy, mockingly prophesy who it is that strikes you. They flogged him, scourged him. All of these events. So they're talking to each other about all these things that had happened including Jesus' death. 
While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Are you kidding me? All right, I am not certain I can get on to anybody else, at least for the next week or two. <laughs> Y'all didn't see anything. Reset. <laughs> Goodness gracious. But while they were talking, they're walking, and they're talking, discussing the recent events that led to Jesus' death. And unbeknownst to them, Jesus himself draws near and goes along with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Say, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus, probably with a sheepish grin or stifling a grin, said, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. I want to take a moment to talk about these two guys because I think all of us at times ought to be able to relate to where these guys are at. See, we look at Jesus' death on the cross with gratitude and rejoicing, don't we? I got a couple of people that do. <laughs> but these two men en route to Emmaus we're looking at his death on the cross with sadness. You know, I got my degree in youth and adult counseling. I like to not only know what people did, but what drove them to do it. That's just, I can't. When I read the Bible, I'm the same way. I'm looking at people living out a story. It's not just verses to me. I always try to put myself in their story. And I feel like that helps me get out of the story what God intends for us to get out of the story because these aren't just Bible characters. These are living, breathing people going through something. You know, these scriptures weren't, weren't written when they were going through this. We're reading the written account of what they went through. It's no different than how we're walking out our lives today. We know 
in many cases what the Bible says, but sometimes it's hard walking with God when you don't know how things are going to turn out. If we knew the end from the beginning, it'd be easier. I wouldn't stress. I wouldn't be anxious. Right? If, if, if I had an idea, if I knew what to expect from point A to point B all the way to point C, man, I could be a happy Christian all the time. But that's not how God wants us to walk. He wants us to walk in faith. Gives us the little bit that we need in order for us to do the part that we need to do, but then we need to trust God. That God is faithful and he's going to do what only God can do. The more we know, the more we try to help God. The more we try to help God, the more we mess it up. So it's the wisdom of God just to give us the little bit that we need to know. And as much as we resent or dislike that, we're just going to have to ask God to help us get comfortable in that place. And so we're reading about these two men. You know, we know, Clo, we, we know uh, Cleopas. We know the name uh, of one of them. But here they are just walking and talking about the events and how troubled they are. And as they're walking and talking, Jesus pops up in their midst and he starts asking questions. How many of you know Jesus knew everything that happened? So he wasn't seeking information. He wasn't trying to learn what happened. I believe he just simply wanted them to get he wanted them to get out everything that was in their hearts. He wanted to question them, give them, that's why he asked for what things? Give me a list of things. Because once I get you to utter what the issues of your heart are, now everything is laid bare, and now I can challenge that which isn't of truth. I see, I can now assess where the gaps in the story are. They gravitated to every, they had all the facts down. They knew what the chief priest did. They knew what Judas did. They knew what Peter did. They knew what Pilate did. They knew everything. They knew what happened to Jesus. But apparently, if you look at their story and their accounting to Jesus, one thing they apparently did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. They said he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, before God and before men. See, they didn't know the whole truth. I said they didn't know the whole truth. And sometimes, you know what, I'm going to say oftentimes, we draw the wrong conclusion because we don't know the whole story. We focus on, it's, it's not that what we're focusing on isn't true. It was true that Jesus died on the cross. It was true that the people 
had Pilate released Barabbas instead of Jesus. It was true that Jesus didn't deserve to die. It was true that Jesus was a prophet. It was true that he was a man mighty in word and deed before God and before men. What they said was true, but it was incomplete. And because it was incomplete, they're looking at the same story, the same event with sadness that you and I, who are looking back on the whole story, can see it for what it is and, what it, and the significance of what it was. And we could see it and thank God and praise God and rejoice because we see it wasn't just a death of a man of God. It was the Savior of the world laying down his life as Lamb of God for the redemption of mankind. And we saw the, we know the rest of the story. He's risen. And I see another thing in this as well, too. They're focusing on all the negative events. When all we focus on is the negative, we can easily fail to recognize both the presence and the voice of Jesus in our circumstance. I've been there. This ain't a this isn't an attempt to condemn these guys. I think that it's important to point these things out because this is where we live sometimes. And I believe the word of God is relevant. There's always something in the word of God that's relevant to where we're at. There's always something we can draw from it that can help us grow and help us in our walk with the Lord. Help us overcome our own human frailties and yield even, even our thoughts and our emotions and, and, and feelings and everything to the Lord. And before I move on, I want to get back to verse 21. To me, there's one word in that verse. It's a four-letter word. It's the word hope. Why the difference between how we look at the cross and, why they're, and how they're looking at the cross in there. It says, but we we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They didn't just lose Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, this man of God. They lost the hope that they had because of him. Right? He was supposed to be the redeemer. He's supposed to redeem Israel. He was supposed to do for us in this day what God did for the people of God in, in Egypt. When he, when he delivered them from Pharaoh and took them to the promised land. 
That's what their expectation was. They didn't have an expectation that their Messiah would suffer. They didn't have an expectation that their Messiah would die. They had an expectation that their, that their Messiah would be like Moses. Let my people go and come out unscathed, laying waste to the enemy without a scratch on him. That was their expectation, and their hope was that he would topple Rome, topple all the secular authority, and elevate the people of God where they're supposed to be. And the problem was, that was an erroneous expectation. Because the scriptures was clear that the Messiah was going to suffer for the sins of man. That the Messiah was going to usher in in a kingdom that is not of this world. And so that tells me that they looked back on all those prophecies from from the prophecies of Moses all the way through all those promises and they grabbed a hold of the good stuff that pertained to the Messiah and somehow convinced themselves that the bad stuff didn't pertain to him. Now, that's not my, mm-mm. My Messiah is not, that, that can't be the Messiah because that doesn't fit the narrative in my mind about what the, what the Messiah is supposed to look like and what he's supposed to do. You know, we've got to let Scripture speak for itself. And not try to conform scripture to meet some kind of expectation or narrative that we prefer. Because when we do that, we end up missing God and we end up misrepresenting God. Y'all don't have to say amen for it to be true. So uh, I'm confident in saying what I'm saying. And so when it... So it's because of the erroneous thinking, they had hoped that he would redeem Israel. There's more to it than just those words. They had an expectation of the Messiah that once Jesus suffered and died, that expectation, the hope that came with that expectation died with him. And that's why they're sad when they ought to be rejoicing. They don't see the whole picture. Because they chose throughout the generations, throughout the centuries, not to see the Messiah who would come fully in light of how Scripture presented him. And we need to be careful not to make the same mistake. Are you hearing me? And so they finished reciting to Jesus all these things and, 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 and the lament of their heart when they were seeing some of these. And, and now they're saying, hey, the women went out there to, the, uh, 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 to see the body. They went out there to find it, came back, saying that the tomb was empty. They saw an angel who said that Jesus was alive. So we've heard it. Reliable witnesses have said he's alive. We're not ready to go there yet. It still hurts it's, it's, the hurt is still too deep. And I've already been disappointed. My hope has already been disappointed. So we're just talking 
commiserating together, leaning on each other in sadness because our hope has been disappointed. Because of our expectations, our draw away from what just happened is that he must not have been who we thought he would be. Some other brothers went to the tomb and found it empty as well. But they didn't see him, so we don't know what to believe. And here he goes in verse 25. And Jesus' response to their account of the day's events, he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, these are strong, harsh-sounding words from Jesus. Such language. Such language does not appear to be warranted when you consider the fact that he's addressing two guys who were simply walking and talking. But I believe it was necessary because while they were just walking and talking, there is how they're talking. It's the focus of their talking. He says, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, he didn't say that you didn't believe any things that the prophets spoke, but they were slow to believe all, the whole story. Right? There were some things that were easy to believe, some things they preferred not to believe, and not believing the whole story caused them to miss the significance of it all. I'm stressing this because the same could happen in your story. What you choose to remember, what you choose to, to focus on. You can focus on all the negative events, and next thing you know, Jesus is walking right beside you, asking you questions, and you don't even recognize him or know who, that it's him that's talking to you. Because we're lost in our emotions, we're lost in our feelings, we're lost in our negative thinking, and we're not in fully embracing the whole truth and nothing but. Let's make sure before we react, let's take a moment, take it to the Lord, let's, let's, let, let's allow space for the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. That's, that, that, that's what he is to do. Let's take a moment and be patient and let's, let's pray into it. Let's pray to God about it. Let's ask God to, to really meet us where we're at and speak to us and, 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 and acknowledge that God, it's very likely that I'm in my feelings right now because I don't see the whole picture. So Lord, I don't want to react. I want to respond in faith. So, Lord, until I have some clarity on the matter, I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to press into you. 
I'm going to be still. I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to put myself in a position to where I can have a a conversation and engage God, where God can speak to me and, and the truth of the matter is revealed so that I can respond in faith and full trust and obedience to God without my emotions leading me astray. Are you hearing me? I've had things in my life, had expectations of things working out one way. And it was a loss of those expectations When those expectations weren't met, it was like a death. Not just in that moment, but it was death of the hope I had for the future. Let's not fail to see this in this story with these two men. Jesus' death meant the death of the hope that they had for the future. But that was only because they didn't know the whole story. And he goes on in verse 26. Was it not necessary for the Christ, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He filled in the blanks. He gave them the whole picture. Now they could see what happened in light of the full truth. Prior to Jesus doing that, them feeding each other sadness and dwelling on the negative and giving up, thinking all hope is lost, that, that's an example of how wrong-headed and misguided we can be when we don't know the whole truth of the story. We'll think we've lost when what has happened is a means to victory. We'll think all hope is lost when God has chosen you to go through this because it's going to develop something in you that's going to sustain you and mature you and, 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 and refine you in preparation for what he's got in store for you. It may not have been what you expected or how you wanted it to play out in your mind, but that's where we got to let God be true and everyone else a liar, even if the liar is the one looking at, it, looking at us in the mirror. So, so we go on. So he expounded from Moses and all the prophets. He, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So Jesus is with them the whole time. They don't know who he is. When he's walking on the road to Emmaus, they don't know who he is. When he's expounding the scriptures from Moses and all the prophets, they don't know who he is. They break bread, and all of a sudden, the scales come off. They recognize who he is. And the moment they recognize who he is, poof, he's gone. I'm not going to try and get into all of that any deeper than that. Other than to say, isn't it an amazing quality of our Savior? He, he met them where they were at. In the darkness of their misunderstanding, in the darkness of their uh, disappointed hopes and expectations and their bleak outlook for the future, thinking all hope was lost, even in their failure to recognize that even in death, on, even through death on the cross, he was still the Messiah, the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the earth. Those circumstances didn't change who he was, even though that's where they were at, that they felt like we was hoping that he was the one. Well, he can't be the one now because if he was, he wouldn't be dead right now. Even though these are his disciples, not the 12, but these are real deal disciples here. Otherwise, there would be no need for them to, uh, for the Lord to divine and make them unable to recognize him on the road to Emmaus. And when they broke bread, it didn't say, it didn't say that he said, surprise, guess who? It said they recognized him. And then poof, he was gone. So they knew him well enough to recognize his face, his voice, and yet they were prevented from doing so. He's in their situation. And I tell you this speaks to me on a deep level because there are multiple times in my life that when I was in a dark place and I was going through things, I did not real, I realize that Jesus was walking with me and met me in that place and walked me through it until I was past it looking back at it. You don't always recognize when he's walking with you on the road that you're traveling, but I can guarantee you he is. You're not doing it alone. He's with you. Right? And at some point, he's going to start speaking to you, asking you questions. Right? Hey, what you talking about? He knows what you're talking about. He's not trying to, it's not, it's not a fact-finding question. It's a bit, you know, it's a rhetorical question. Or, it, or uh, it's a question designed to, for you to get it out. He's engaging you at the core of you. He's engaging you in a way that's designed to move you from the feelings that are evoked by this partial understanding of what's going on and the fears and anxieties and the loss and disappointment that comes with that. He's drawing you 
to engaging you, drawing you into truth so that he can reveal to you that all hope is not lost. That the truth of the matter is you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. So they drew, uh, go on, verse 33. Uh, and I will say, my heart's desire for, for you, for all of us, is that you're thinking about how this story relates to you in some way and that your heart is also burning within you as you're hearing the truth of God's word and applying it to your situation that maybe you're realizing that you have not looked at past circumstances in the entirety of truth and now God is dealing with you and your heart's burning. I pray that it is and that it leads you to a place of of uh, discovery, a place of uh, revelation, a place of, of, of excitement as you realize where you thought hope was lost, you realize hope springs eternal. Hallelujah. Verse 33, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So they go there ready to share their news and find they're already celebrating the news because Jesus has shown himself to, to others of his disciples. Saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What we see here, did any of the circumstances they were talking about before they encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus, did any of those circumstances change? All of those things they were discussing were still a reality, right? Yet after the encounter with Jesus and Jesus gives them the whole truth, the whole story, notice how differently they're acting now. They're no longer sad. They're rejoicing. They're glad. They went they returned to Jerusalem. Do y'all remember early in the passage how long it was? It was seven miles, right? These guys ran seven miles back to Jerusalem. I don't know how long it took them but they knew they needed to get this news to the, other, to the other disciples who were mourning like they were mourning. They were all sad. They were all disappointed. They all had lost hope. Their hope had been disappointed because their expectations had not been met. Be careful your expectations. I said be careful your expectations because you can project your expectations onto God God doesn't work like we work. God doesn't move like we move. We need to have a heart that says, God, you know what? I laid down my expectations. I just want your will to be done. And however you decide to work in my life, whichever path, however winding it is, however filled with obstructions and challenges and things it is, 
Lord, it's enough to me. It'll suffice for me to know that you are with me always, even to the end of the age. Whatever I have to encounter, I will say it is the will of God that if God will for me to go through this, then he has already given the provision for me to go through it. And when it's all done, when it's all said and done, the end result is it will all be worked together for my good. Somehow, some way. It may not have been how I planned it. It may not have been how I wanted it. But it's not about what I want. It's about the will of God. Jesus displayed that, that heart attitude in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, I know all things are possible for you. And it's not that I don't want to redeem man. I'm, I'm all for that. But right now, in my flesh, the Son of Man doesn't, is having a hard time going through what he's about to go through. Is there another way we can redeem man? But even if the answer is no, not my will, but yours be done. And he went through it all. And where was his joy? The joy that was set before him. You know, we're not going to always be able to find joy in our current circumstances. Most of the time. You're not going to find joy in your circumstances. See, that's why it's the joy of the Lord has to be our strength. Amen? And Jesus went through all that he went through. He went through the shame. He went through the betrayal. He went through the pain. He went through the dying and agony on the cross for the joy, Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. Despising the shame. You've heard me say this before. He's, you know, shame. He's like, you know what? Yeah, it's shameful. But how dare you shame? I would not let shame prevent me from doing, going through with this so that my bride can be redeemed. My bride is worth the shame. And even though it hurts, and even though it's shameful, and, and uh, 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 even though I'm in agony, and even though I'm dying, there is no joy in this, but there is joy coming. The redemption of God's sons and daughters. Are you hearing me? There may not be joy in your, certain, in, in your current circumstance, but you have a good God who loves you and who is faithful to you who has promised to you that he'll work all things out for your good. So, I am going to, or look at the time. I trust you, Lord. I just, so I won't be tempted to go, keep on going. <laughs> but I do you know I apologize for imposing on your time and I know you got plans and, and, and I won't intrude upon them any longer than, than absolutely necessary but I do want to give time just like the two men on the road to Emmaus they were mourning a death If you've lived this life long enough, you've mourned the death of, of a loved one. 
parent, spouse, sibling, maybe even a child. Maybe you've lost a child still in the womb. Maybe you were even in the such a difficult position that you felt the only way out was to abort the baby that was in your womb. And you hear all the hateful rhetoric, you hear all the condemnation and you are a murderer and this or that and the other and who knows you you who knows what kind of rhetoric that you have heard and what kind of self condemning words you are feeding yourself right now maybe there's a death of an opportunity you know that you squandered choices that you made that closed doors, friendships, broken. They feel like they'll never be again. Maybe it was a marriage that's in trouble or one that's already lost. You had expectations. You made decisions in an effort to preserve those expectations, to protect those expectations. Whatever the reason, whatever the story you, whatever the reason you made your decisions, you made them. And now you look back on them with regret. You look back on them with sadness. A sadness rooted in hope, disappointed hope, lost hope. Something that feels like it's beyond redemption. Right now, right where you are, let the Lord speak to you the truth. He saved to the utmost. He went to the cross for all of those things you regret. What, what is dead, what died or whoever died, they may not be coming back. But that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. That doesn't mean that that story in some way cannot be redeemed. It doesn't mean that that 
something good can't come out of that, of those bad decisions, of those negative outcomes. So I want you to, I want to remind you, Jesus knows everything about you and he loves you anyway. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows every mistake you made. He knows every bad thought you've had. He knows every dirty deed you've done. He knows everyone you've hurt, everyone you've wronged, all those things. And yet he loves you anyway. You are fully known by him and also fully loved. And he's been walking with you this whole time. You haven't always recognized him, but he's walking with you. Let him talk to you. Let him make your heart burn within you. Let him open your eyes to the whole truth. That you might find the reason to rejoice in that which only produced sadness in you before. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up everyone in the sound of my voice this morning. The cross is not an occasion to be sad. The cross is an occasion to shout for joy. It's an occasion to rejoice. Jesus didn't redeem us from suffering. He redeemed us through suffering. So encourage your sons and daughters who may be suffering, Lord. Help them not to see their circumstances just in light of the negative aspects of it, but open their eyes to your presence. Open their eyes to the truth of your word that that, that, that wellspring of life might enter into their story. And they, like the two men on the road to Emmaus, by the end of that story, they seeing it in light of how in the light of truth. They can be they can now be thankful and rejoice and celebrate what God has done in and through those circumstances. Devil, I just, I I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You're toying with people's minds. You're toying with people's emotions and you want them to, to, to dwell in the pit of despair and only to look at their circumstances and to not see beyond that. But these are the people of God. They belong to him. Their story is not yours to to play around with. Their story is not yours to write. The story of their life is written by the author and finisher of their faith. 
Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and they have already overcome the world through their faith in Jesus Christ. And they will hear, they will listen to, they will recognize the truth as Jesus has, as Jesus meets them where they're at and speaks it to them. And they will hope. Again, that which, that in which hope was lost shall be regained. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for meeting them where they're at. Make sure, Lord, overcome whatever obstacles, whatever obstacles they may erect themselves, overcome it and penetrate their heart with your truth. That they might know the truth to such a degree, have an intimate acquaintance with the truth to such a degree that the truth will make them free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pray this in Jesus' name. For he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace with God, and with his wounds we are healed. You're healed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, I pray that you all were blessed and edified. I thank you for giving me a little extra of your time to share what God has put on my heart. And, and I just pray that the truth of God's word, you carry it with you. Let the truth of God rule in your heart, rest in your heart and rule in your life. It'll be a blessing to you and it'll glorify God.